Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello, ladies. Hello, guys. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, Taylor Swift has a new album, A Bachelor Couple is Engaged, and a math star is going global. Plus, Shia LaBeouf and Olivia Wilde's feud goes nuclear. And then we take a look at Australia's first ever influence index that ranks Australia's most influential influencers. But first, Michelle... How was your week? It was a good week, particularly because we got this incredible email from a listener last week that I want to read out, Zara, because... Oh, this was so great. And we don't often pull these out at the start of the episode, truthfully, because we don't have time. But this was so beautiful. I sent it to you straight away and I said, you've got to read it. Yeah, absolutely. So we did speak about Nancy Myers on last week's episode. You gave a recommendation about an article Nancy Myers had written. Of course, for anyone who's missed that episode, Nancy Myers is a name behind some of the biggest and most successful rom-coms of our time. And listener Georgia reached out with this. She said, hello girls, I read the Nancy Myers article you recommended and have a little story that will hopefully bring you all a little joy. I will keep it brief as I can't write like Nancy Myers. Not many of us can. (laughs) When I was around 13, my parents chose to separate. My sister Ella went with my dad and I went with my mum. Ella and I are polar opposites but adore each other. Think the parent trap. Also our favourite movie growing up. In our early 20s, we got a step monster, known between us as Meredith Blake. Fast forward a few years, Meredith is a peak monster and it was thankfully coming to an end between her and our dad. So to continue the storyline, we joked about our parents getting back together. All our friends and family knew everyone was in on it. We would ensure that our parents would awkwardly run into each other, plan things with them and then disappear mid-meal to leave them be or go for walks and walk as slow as possible so that they could walk together. <laughs> the final clincher was a family holiday. We planned to New Zealand and an Airbnb with not enough bedrooms. <laughs> a, a classic. <laughs> 
A few years ago, we got our happy ending. Our parents got back together more than 13 years on. They act like teenagers who have just fallen in love. My mum will pass silly questions or messages about our dad to us as if we are her high school friends scoping out the guy she likes. They now appreciate all the quirks about each other that I am sure contributed to their separation many years ago. A few years ago, my beautiful sister was diagnosed with breast cancer at 30, which she thankfully has made it through. Make sure you check your boobs, everyone. My parents held her, each other, and our family through every day of her treatment. Our family connection pulled us through it all. So a little story that proves life can be like a movie. Thank you for your podcast, Georgia. Oh, I oh loved this so much. That is so sweet. Because it was like the plot of a Nancy Myers movie. Yeah, very, very cute. Kind of funny to think of two kids plotting so that their parents have to share a bed on the family. I know. Oh, yeah. Kids are smart. Kids are smart. <laughs> do you have a recommendation for us this week? I do. On the topic of rom-coms, have you guys watched Look Both Ways with Lily Reinhardt on Netflix? I saw or heard some girls in the office talking about it, but I haven't watched it, yes. Annabelle. I was one of those girls. I yeah. fucking love Lily Reinhardt. She's a Same. gem. She's such a sweetheart. I know her personally. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, did you enjoy this movie? I loved it. I loved how unpredictable the ending was. Yeah. Now, when I saw the name, I thought this was perhaps an American remake of the Australian VCE film yes. that my sister did in Year 12 English. Not the case. Look Both Ways is kind of like a reimagined Sliding Doors for anyone who loves that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Zara, there are two realities and I just think it's a great, great movie. I do need to put some stuff on the record. Terrible reviews online. Ignore okay. them. Ignore them, right? They don't early. matter. They don't matter. Take out. Take our word. It's I, a good movie. I did for the crowd ads, though. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I really, really back. The only gripe that I have with this movie is there's a couple of scenes. I wonder if you picked up on this, Annabelle. Probably not. Where <laughs> Lily Reinhardt is quite obviously sitting in front of a green screen, and oh. it's extremely obvious. They're trying to pass it off that she's sitting at a laptop with like two different lounge room setups behind her. She's fucking sitting in front of a green screen and it's one of the most like low budget production moments of the entire film. Sometimes you got to respect that yeah. though. They got to do what they got to do. I really want to watch this. Where will I find it? On Netflix. It's okay. awesome. I think it's number one in the movie section right now. Just go with it, guys. Don't think too much about it. Just go for the ride and have fun. I can do that. Aisha D's in it as well oh, from I the Bolt Aisha, Aisha D is epic in it. She is such a good character. So yeah, just absolutely adored that. What about you? What about your week? I had a pretty uneventful week, to be honest with you. So I thought if I'm going to have an uneventful week, I should bring you both something else. And I, over the course of the last week, stumbled on some good celebrity niche facts. And I thought perhaps I could bring them to you <laughs> today fun. because I've, I've brought you some in the past and you've always loved them. Yeah. My, our all-time favorite here at Shameless is Humongo Grant. Humongo Grant. So <laughs> the, the two facts that I've got for you today are celebrities that I didn't realize were connected, which I think could be its own brand of celebrity fact. Okay. So the first one, I'm going to start with my weakest and then move on to my strongest. (laughs) The first one, I didn't know that Mariska Hegarty... Who? <laughs> and, you know, the main character of Law and Order, SVU. Oh, of yes. Of course you know who that is. Is she part of like Taylor's girl squad when she had that going? Annabelle. Uh, no, <laughs> not, like not at all. The main <laughs> character from Law and Order, SVU. I'm yes. looking at her now. Yes, I recognise her. I had no idea her name's Mariska. Very I, interesting name. I did know that. <laughs> did you know she's married to Charles from Younger, the hot publisher from Younger? Uh, I'm picturing them and they look hot together. Yeah. I love that you're feigning interest in this. 
is Annabelle. So you're not interested in that one? I give zero fucks <laughs> okay. about that. You might care about the next one. You don't one. even know Charles from Younger's real name. No. They're not actual <laughs> celebrities. I didn't even Google it. <laughs> okay. The next one is if, if you're worried about me Charles actually not knowing Young. the real names, then you might have a problem with this one too. <laughs> Emma Watson has a boyfriend at the moment. Yeah. His name is Brandon Green. Do you okay. know who he is? Yes, I've seen photos recently. No, no. Do you know who he is? No. no. Okay, so he is the son <laughs> of the guy who created Topshop. Now, Brandon Green's sister <gasps> dated Hot Felon. Yes, had a kid with Hot Felon, which means Emma Watson's niece or nephew, <laughs> I haven't done that much research, is Hot Felon's kid. I'm pretty sure Hot Felon's real name is Jeremy Meeks. It is. I did know that. I was just... Playing dumb. <laughs> Did you know that? That I care about on like maybe a four out of ten scale. I will take that. Oh, hot felon. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was hearing like Fallon like Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> and I was like, who the fuck is that? How many listeners do we think we've lost already? Um, not many because <laughs> I think that's quite interesting. So they're my two celebrity facts for this week. I'll, I'll bring them back as I can. Please don't. I will. My quick recommendation for you this week. I have started listening to the Anna Winter biography on audiobooks. That is so you. It is written by Amy O'Dell. I will preface this by saying you do need to care about the minutiae of Anna Wintour's life from when she was young, as you kind of have to with biographies, but it is incredibly interesting to me. It's semi-authorised. What do you mean? Well, she she wasn't interviewed for it, but she did give Amy O'Dell, who wrote the book, who was the former editor-in-chief of Cosmo, access to people in her life. And I think for that reason, there are some kind of conflicting storylines in the book about her personality. <gasps> there are stories that paint her out to be the cold kind of person we know. And then there are other stories that make her sound kind of funny. And like I'm her like, sister or something. Yeah. Like, no, she's the best. <laughs> and I think that's why I'm enjoying it so much because it's not really adding up, truthfully. Oh, I love um, that. But one thing I thought you guys would be really interested in is I didn't realise how many people hated her when in her 20s when she was starting out. Like she was fired from one job and nearly a second as well. Because she wasn't very good at her job or because she was like a difficult personality to get along with? A difficult person in a workplace. Yeah, and I didn't realise that someone like that could still rise to the greatest ranks of all. So obviously Anna Wintour, completely polarising personality for so many reasons, but that's why this is a fascinating book. So I'm really enjoying it. Oh, I love that wreck. I'll, I'll bring you some more Anna facts maybe next week. Yeah, I was about to yeah. say that really made up for the terrible yeah. celebrity facts. <laughs> I liked it, Zara. I liked the first Thanks, part. Tim. Guys, we are running straight into the quick and dirty today because there is a lot around this week. We have been blessed with a lot of celebrity stories. Thank you to the celebrities. They have been busy. Who Should we just go one for one again? Go one for one. You take it away. All right. Our first story today. Taylor Swift announces surprise new album out later this year. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Annabelle Lee, I spotted a little fist bump. <laughs> I my did a little then. <laughs> now, Taylor Swift surprised just about everyone on Monday when she rocked up to the VMAs. She doesn't tend to go to the VMAs every year. She's only been every three or so years. Recently, she was wearing this incredible sparkly Oscar de la Renta mini dress, which I just loved. Yeah, she looked amazing. And I think she knew the minute she walked in that all eyes and all cameras would be on her. Now, after two years of releasing re-recorded versions of her old albums, Taylor's announced a brand new record called Midnight's and that was she announced that when she was accepting the award for video of the year at the awards. She, of course, 
won the gong for the all too well short film that we spend many a minute talking about on this show. It had us in a stranglehold for 2021. <laughs> I do want to talk about the title of this album, Midnights, because the idea behind the album is that she wrote all of these songs overnight. 13 songs written in her like deepest, darkest midnights. Yeah. I kind of have a problem with the pluralisation of midnight. <laughs> yeah. Why? I think, I think it would have been stronger and punchier had it just been midnight. Interesting. Like midnight is a concept, not multiple midnights. But from what I've gathered, these will be various stories across her life that kept her up at midnight. So it's multiple midnights that make the album. Yes. No, no, I do appreciate it. It's just a (laughs) tiny little thing in my bow or whatever we call it. So when she was accepting the award, this is how she announced the album. I I thought it might be a fun moment to tell you that... that my brand new album comes out October 21st. And I will tell you more at midnight. That is me. I would be screaming. People are nuts. People are nuts and I would be such person if I was in the crowd. In fact, when I learnt this information online I let out a squeal while I was sitting at my laptop now immediately after this acceptance speech Taylor posted the album cover art on her Instagram it was an image of herself looking downright depressed with the caption midnights the story of 13 sleepless nights scattered throughout my life will be out on October 21 meet me at midnight now I'm curious over on TikTok a lot Mm, of people are looking into this we know Taylor if anything, is a strategist. Like nothing is accidental in Taylor Swift's universe. She plots things out meticulously. October 21 happens to be Kim Kardashian's birthday. Yes. Do we think that is intentional given we know the feud that's been going on between Taylor Swift and Kim K for years? Or is that just like pure happenstance? I actually think pure happenstance. Interesting. Because a birthday, like, does anyone really give a fuck about birthdays? Apart from me. (laughs) But do you know what I mean? Like, if it was Kim Kardashian's launch of something or if it was probably a more prominent date in Kim Kardashian's orbit, maybe. Yeah, it is a little juvenile for us to think that Kim Kardashian would care so much about her birthday thunder. I think that's the only thing I was thinking is, like, this does feel a bit random. People are desperate though to prove that this is some kind of feud. People were also saying that October 21 is when Carly Rae Jepsen's new album comes oh out gosh. under Scooter Braun <laughs> and this is another form of revenge. I'm like, I don't think Taylor's worried about Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> she is at all. Now, before we move on from the VMAs as well, we obviously cannot do this episode without retouching base on what the fuck is happening with Addison Rae's parents, <laughs> namely her mum, Sherry Easterling, who was flirting a lot with the musician Young Gravy on Twitter. Seemed like a kind of a joke, a bit of a troll to her ex-husband, Monty Lopez, but it's kicked off with some smooches. Oh, it's a very serious troll now, it seems. So Sherry and Young Gravy attended the VMAs arm in arm wearing matching lilac outfits. And then in the background of so many shots at the VMAs, like while while like Nicki Minaj was up on stage performing, you can see Sherry and Young Gravy making out in the crowd. Oh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I hate it. It's not good. It's simply not good. The other thing that's not good is Monty mouthing off on Instagram stories, writing shit like unbothered. Thank you, Young Gravy, for taking the leftovers. He also polled his followers on whether he is, and I quote, the world's hottest gilf. 
grandpa I'd like to fuck for anyone wondering he's what not it, a grandpa I think he actually might be I oh. think he's got children uh, you, who am I to tell Monty Lopez <laughs> he doesn't have grandchildren <laughs> I'm pretty sure the accusation that Monty is slinging Sherry's way is that he had children before they had Addison and their other kids <sighs> and those children have kids and this he's now that oh he is genu- maybe the worst person on the internet at the, the moment. moment. Like yeah. this week, <laughs> this week, worst person on the internet goes to Monty Lopez. I also loved that he was saying like, thanks Young Gravy for taking the leftovers, which is misogynistic and gross. Then he was like unbothered. As if you're unbothered, you've literally posted 15 TikTok videos tagging Young Gravy in August alone. That's a video every second day and you're unbothered. There's too much going on. Again, all I can think of is poor Addison Ray. When oh. your, your parents are behaving like this, it is far too much. My second story, Elle Ferguson's had to change her tanning brand's name because of issues with a major fashion magazine. That is from Pedestrian. Now, Elle Ferguson, the influencer, is back in the headlines, but this time it's all around her tanning brand. Now, for those who aren't aware... Elle Ferguson, of course, we've spoken about her recently because she quit the block with her partner, Joel Patful, after a couple of days, has a really successful tanning brand called Elle Effect. It's stocked in Mecca. Kim Kardashian posted it on her stories, <laughs> which surely is a marker of success. Wow, that's definitely like a PR line from the brand that you yeah. just saw and gone, I'll put that in the show. That sounds about right. Now, she's had to change the name of her brand, dropping one of the L's in L. It's still, as it sounds the same, L Effect, but it's E-L-E. Yeah. This is a big decision that she's had to make because as someone who might have missed this headline or anyone who's just going through Mecca or looking online and hasn't seen this story, they might look at ELE effect and think, well, that's a cheap knockoff. Or that's a like typo. A, that's a typo or a knockoff or like that's not the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the reason for this apparently is because they came into some trademarking issues in the US. So it sounds very much like L Effect is trying to expand into the US and ran into issues with L Magazine. Strange. Which I find very interesting because I'm like, well, L Magazine clearly must be trademarked in sort of the beauty space as well. But in the beauty product space is very interesting. Like are people, I mean, I know I'm not really the examiner, but are people really getting confused about L Magazine and L Effect tanning brand? Surely not. Well, I don't know. Is L Magazine, like, do they own the trademark and they're planning on putting out products? No, I think they just own the trademark in so many different categories that they can put up a wall for things like this. I mean, it's certainly not the first time an Aussie brand, an Aussie beauty brand as well, whose plan for global expansion has had to change their name. I feel like Frank Body had to do something in the past, but they must have done it pretty well because now I can't remember what they, if they were originally just Frank and they had to add the bod or the body. I think they were originally Frank and then they became Frank Bod. Yeah. That's what I think, but then clearly it's boded okay because now no, no one can remember. Yeah. But there are lots of brands that this happens to. It would just be so fucking annoying and it made me think there's no way we could try and expand it to the US. We'd be <laughs> fucked. Shameless. <laughs> You're joking. Drop an L. Scandal. We've stolen all the TV show names. <laughs> Drop an L and call us Seamus. Yeah, Seamus. Seamus. Seamus takes New York. Or drop the S and call us Hameless. Uh, you know what? Should have stopped while you are ahead. <laughs> Our third story, bachelor couple Jimmy and Holly announce engagement. That is from news.com. Now, Jimmy and Holly from The Bachelor, they've made it into Shameless a couple of times this year. 
are engaged. They've been dating for a year and they are getting married. They exclusively revealed this news to Stella Magazine over the weekend, telling the publication that Jimmy proposed on a recent trip to Italy. Yeah, they did. In the interview with Stella Magazine, Holly said he slept cradling his backpack on his lap on the flight over, holding it like a pillow. I wouldn't have been able to rip that backpack out of his arms if I'd tried kind of a stressful experience I guess trying to do it overseas traveling with a ring just Mm. no the other thing I didn't really think of is that Jimmy did say this had to be a relatively stealth operation because he didn't want to be papped going into a ring shop and in Sydney he would be papped going into a ring shop he said I went in with my sister at a mask sunnies and a hat on they opened the store early for us I didn't want to risk anyone leaking the proposal plans or anything yeah okay I get that I don't think he'd be followed by paps but I do think someone might spot him and then send well, it to like a celeb spell check or something. But in Sydney, it's a completely different landscape than it is here. I agree with you. I can't imagine he'd be stalked by Paps, but I wouldn't be surprised if people would spot him and then share that news. And yeah. that would be kind of shitty. Now, I think for a lot of people, there might be a bit of confusion around about how Stella got this story with a specialized photo shoot with Jimmy and Holly, when it looked like, at least from Instagram, they were in Europe only a couple of days before this went live. Well, yeah, it was like, how do you have this professional stellar shoot pre-planned when you've just gotten engaged and you're halfway across the world? Like, did you do an interview and do a photo shoot knowing you're about to get engaged a few weeks later when the magazine was about to come out? So we were talking about this and I did some digging. My understanding is that they did a photo shoot and an interview before they left to kind of maybe mark one year since they went on the show. I also wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy sort of gave them a wink, wink. And then once they were there, they redid the interview over Zoom. So they had all the photos, redid the interview over Zoom and spoke about the engagement. So that's my investigation done. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Zara. I would love to know what Stella pays for an exclusive to announce your engagement. Yeah. If anyone knows, can you tell us? Because I will absolutely put that up on your say Friday. Like I will take as many unfounded rumors as we can get. (laughs) How much money do you guys think? Because I reckon they might pay 10 grand for someone in engagement. I was thinking that. Yeah. For an exclusive for their engagement, yeah. Chucking it out. Someone come back to us. We will keep your anonymity protected. Yes, we will. Mish, after the break, we are going to talk about a new profile of Meghan Markle. We are also going to talk about that Olivia Wilde drama with Shia LaBeouf. And then we're going to chat about the Aussie Influence Index. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Our fourth story, Alison P. Davis's Meghan Markle profile for the cut is fair but not fawning. That is from Lainey Gossip and you would have been hard-pressed to have missed this one this week. One of our favourite writers from the cut sat down with Meghan Markle and one of the first proper profiles I can remember in ever really, Mish. Yeah, Meghan Markle is currently promoting her new podcast. It's called Archetypes, which is exclusive to Spotify. It's doing really well. It actually dethroned the Joe Rogan podcast on the podcast charts around the world last week. So a massive gong for Meghan Markle. This is one of those profile pieces where you really do need to read it a couple of times to oh, make proper easily. sense of it. Because Alison P. Davis, as you said, I think you said she's one of our favourite, the cut writers. I think she's one of my favourite writers. Oh, yeah, stop. for Maybe sure. Maybe my favourite around the world. So she has written this in a really interesting way that takes a little bit to unpack. Uh, yeah, I would honestly say 
it's probably going to take three or four proper reads for me to get everything I need to out of it. Let's run through some of the more interesting passages, shall we? Here's one that I found really interesting. In a lull in conversation, Megan turns to me and leans forward to ask in a conspiratorial hush, do you want to know a secret? Megan, silenced no more, looks around, making sure nobody who would be is listening in. Then the top secret drop, I'm getting back on Instagram. She says, her eyes are light and devilish. This could have been a troll. Delivering a nothing with such gravitas feels as if Megan, who has been so trolled by the media, is serving it back just a little. Yeah, that passage really got me. And then later in the piece, Alison P. Davis mentions that Megan's changed her mind and won't be back on Instagram at all. I think the illustration of Meghan Markle that we get through this piece is a conflicting one. Like she seems to be really certain of herself in some moments and then completely almost say the opposite thing later on. I also found it fascinating how Alison Davis wrote about what she called, and I quote, a tiny bachelor producer in Meghan Markle's brain. Mm. The full quote was, it's like she has a tiny bachelor producer in her brain directing what she says. Alison later adds to this by writing, the result of trying always to do and say the right thing is the impression that Meghan is constantly policing herself. And in a meta twist, I find myself worrying that the words I write about her will be misinterpreted and dissected rudely, maliciously too. Yeah, I think it's lines like that that made me feel like Alison P. Davis was absolutely the perfect person to do this profile because I think she felt an enormous responsibility in doing so. I mean, she wrote through the piece about, you know, the stats on how widely negative coverage about Meghan Markle is and how she wanted to write a fair profile, but also knew that this profile was going to go hugely viral when she wrote it. And there's like a lot of worry and stress that comes with that because you don't want to be responsible for throwing someone to the wolves as well. Yeah, but then you also don't want to be sycophantic for the sake of being sycophantic. It's a very difficult line to walk. And we've talked about this on Shameless before, that surely people can talk about Meghan Markle without falling in a hate camp or a sycophantic camp. Surely there's some line in between to say, She does some good things. She says some clunky things. And like anyone, she's flawed. Yeah, well, you would hope so. But the internet is certainly not that kind of place. I think when we're talking about clunky things she said, one of the things that have been pulled out of this piece is that comparison she made to Nelson Mandela, which certainly garners some pretty questionable headlines for sure. And then there's one more passage that I also want to read as well. At one point in our conversation, instead of answering a question, Megan will suggest how I might transcribe the noises she's making. She's making these guttural sounds and I can't quite articulate what it is she's feeling in that moment because she has no word for it. She's just moaning. Yeah, so that last bit is an actual quote from Megan saying to Alison P. Davis what she should write about Megan. Like it's very meta and I think that's another takeaway from this piece that naturally given she's been so criticised and she's been – there's almost like this feasting on Meghan Markle from people who just want to hate her, so desperately want to hate her. She's become someone who is hell-bent on controlling as much of the narrative as possible, which is so understandable. Like it's so human to see that, but it's still an interesting takeaway. There was another passage from Alison P. Davis that read, Megan herself gives off an effortless, arms wide open, relatable affectation. She dangles the glimpse behind the curtain while the machine in place around her slams the door. She's this woman who wants to be seen as open and wants to be seen as relatable and friendly, but realistically 
feels the need to control everything to such a degree as well because she is so petrified as to what the coverage is going to be about her. I've just never read a celebrity profile where the celebrity has tried to tell the journalist what to say or what to write about the celebrity's guttural sounds or the way she's moaning in response to questions. That was a fascinating inclusion for me. Yeah. I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's something that a lot of celebrities do because I think it's an ego thing. I think really? It's, yeah, for sure. I feel like it's certainly an odd thing to read, but I don't think it's the only time I've ever read it. I think when you're profiling anyone who's this famous, there's going to be a level of ego that is beyond anything we would know or see. And I think someone with that kind of ego would think, oh, I can describe this or better than you can, even though you're the expert in the job. Yeah. And I can center myself in these kinds of exchanges much better. I think for me, this profile was really interesting because I agree with you. I think you could really see that conflict even within Megan of trying to be this open person, but not actually being able to be that. And I did wonder, God, it, I, I don't understand. Like I understand how they obviously have to make a living for themselves with the Spotify deal and with the Netflix deal, but it means every part of their life is public. She has to do profiles like this, which is going to garner even more publicity. And I'm just like, this is a nightmare to me. Yeah, I think as well it's all it all has to be a performance because that's the way it's been set up. Yeah. Like the performance element of this profile piece was just so interesting. Like, I feel like I'm going to be unpacking this in my head for a very long time. Yeah, I agree. Our fifth story, Married at First Sight star Ella Ding joins British reality show Made in Chelsea for upcoming season. That is from the Daily Mail. A very quick one for you guys, but Ella Ding, one of the biggest stars to come out of Married at First Sight Australia this year, has officially joined the cast of one of UK's biggest reality shows, Made in Chelsea. Yeah, reality is in inverted yes. commas there because God knows how real it actually is. Now, this news was announced via the Made in Chelsea Instagram. They wrote, there's a new ray of sunshine coming to Chelsea this autumn. This is a bloody smart decision from the Made in Chelsea producers. For whatever reason, Ella Ding really resonated with UK audiences. I'm not sure if we said it on this podcast or if we said it between ourselves in the shameless office, but after Married at First Sight aired in Australia this year, Ella was in like the top three when it came to followings online and kind of popularity with Australian audiences. But when MAFS then aired in the UK, maybe four weeks after the Australian timeline, Ella became the most followed person from the show. She rocketed above everyone because for whatever reason, she resonates with a UK demo in a way that none of the other contestants do. And I don't know what that is or what's going on there, but the UK audience just really bloody love her. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's huge for Ella. I mean, Made in Chelsea is no small TV show. It's no. running into its 23rd season. So this will do insane things for her career for sure. Our sixth story, why Shia LaBeouf is beefing with Olivia Wilde over Don't Worry Darling. Oh. That is from Junkie. Has there ever been a film no. that has made so many headlines, like before it's come out into the world? There's not a chance that this film can be as good as the publicity has been. No. Do you know what I mean? Like it just simply can't. I feel like it's almost being set up to fail now because we're talking about the drama behind it so much. Now, this very much feels like the story that will never end. A quick reminder, Don't Worry Darling is still five days away from premiering at Venice so no one's really watched the film yet. (laughs) 
But let's go through the Olivia Wilde headlines chronologically over the last week because there's been a heap going on. Now, much of the latest round of controversy actually started late last week after Olivia was profiled in Variety Mm. and the profile was pretty widely read and shared, namely because she was pretty honest about her divorce. She was very candid, very candid about how offended she was that her ex-husband or ex-partner, I should say, Jason Sudeikis' legal team served her those very now infamous custody papers while she was presenting at CinemaCon. She said, it was my workplace. In any other workplace, it would be seen as an attack. It was really upsetting. It shouldn't have been able to happen. There was a huge breach in security, which is really scary. The hurdles that you had to jump through to get into that room with several badges plus special COVID tests that had to be taken days in advance, which gave you wristbands that were necessary to gain access to the event. This was something that required forethought. Yeah, she went on. I hated that this nastiness distracted from the work of so many different people and the studio that I was up there representing. To try to sabotage that was really vicious. But I had a job to do. I'm not easily distracted. But you know, sadly, it was not something that was entirely surprising to me. I mean, there's a reason I left that relationship, as in the one with Jason Sudeikis. I tried to do what it. <laughs> you know the Sorry, what? The try to bring like the um, Oh bum bum Yeah. Yes, that. that's what you just tried to do. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> we know that. Now, quickly going back to these quotes. Oh no. The snorts back. Snorty over Sorry, Snorty, what was that? <laughs> oh, two very interesting sound effects back to back. Annabelle doesn't even need to insert sound effects into this episode. Okay, um, back to where we were. So as you can imagine, everyone shared this profile because there were those quotes inside it. Now, the other thing that was very interesting is the interview also touched on Shia LaBeouf. Now, as we know, Shia LaBeouf was fired from the production of Don't Worry Darling and eventually replaced with Harry Styles. Now, Olivia was asked about this and said, I say this as someone who is such an admirer of his work. His process was not conducive to the ethos that I demand in my productions. He has a process that, in some ways, seems to require a combative energy and I don't personally believe that that is conducive to the best performances. I believe that creating a safe, trusting environment is the best way to get people to do their best work. Ultimately, my responsibility is to the production and the cast to protect them. That was my job. Now, it should be noted a few months after he exited the project, Shire's ex-partner, FKA Twigs, sued him for sexual battery. Now, when it comes to this variety piece, I think the average maybe reading of that quote from Olivia Wilde, especially when she's saying, it's my responsibility to protect the cast, it's my responsibility to create a safe workplace, is that she sacked Shia LaBeouf because she didn't think he was conducive to that kind of safety or that kind of energy on set. Only when Shia came out with his side of the story a few days later, he said he was never fired, that he actually quit because of a disagreement over how much rehearsal time there would be before the movie was shot. Then a video message was leaked of Olivia speaking to camera to Shia LaBeouf saying this. Shia, Shia, I just went riding sweaty but I wanted to reach out because I feel like I'm not ready to give up on this yet and I too am heartbroken and I want to figure this out and you know I think this might be a bit of a wake-up call for Miss Flo and I want to know if you're open to giving this a shot 
with me, with us, if she really commits, if she really puts her, her mind and heart into it at this point, and if you guys can make peace, and I respect your point of view, I respect hers, but if you guys can do it, what do you think? Is there hope? Okay, so many, many questions, obviously. I think for me, as I started, you know, really digging into this on, I think it was like Saturday morning, I was like, did did Olivia Wilde and Shia LaBeouf actually get along far better than Wilde actually told the world? Was she just in this video message trying to schmooze a disgruntled movie star who she really needed in this film? Could the truth be somewhere in the middle? I think for me, there is no doubt that someone like Olivia Wilde probably shouldn't have been so forthright with that story if the truth was a little murkier. But I think what's really worried me online is how many people are jumping down the throat of Olivia Wilde. Like it does actually desperately worry me, particularly how many people are commenting about Amber Heard under videos of Olivia Wilde. And I think, gosh, this Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial will create damage that lasts like a decade for women that we don't trust. Like, as I said, there is no doubt that Olivia Wilde is clearly flawed in these kinds of scenarios and clearly not telling the entire truth. But the way that we absolutely villainize people like her actually terrifies me. Like, it's it's deeply scary to me. Yeah, that's fair. I probably don't feel exactly the same way. I understand that throwing the name Amber Heard in the mix is just a confusing and completely unnecessary move to make. I don't see how Amber Heard is at all related to this story. And I don't think that we should be kind of promulgating that messaging that somehow Olivia Wilde is another Amber Heard or like, I, it's or just the women whole, just lie. Yeah. I think it, no, but I think that is scary to me. And I think it is relevant if people are saying that it's like this movement of being like you know what maybe women just don't tell the truth do you think that's what people are saying though or do you think it's an example I think what people are upset about here is the tone and the patronizing tone and the sexist tone I would say from Olivia Wilde around Miss Flo absolutely I don't think when people I don't agree with people mentioning Amber Heard again I really want to make that clear do I think people are saying all women lie when they bring that in? No. I think they're saying, to me, personally, this is another example of a woman saying she's one thing, but then evidence coming out that, to me, proves she's another. I don't think it's as big or as sweeping as what maybe you do. No, I think it's – I think I feel quite passionate about how wide-sweeping this is, to be honest with you. I totally agree. I think the patronising tone of the Miss Flow thing – absolutely needs to be unpacked. And that dynamic between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde, I mean, gosh, I would love to know how much money news outlets are throwing Florence Pugh to try and get that story. And I don't think Florence Pugh will ever tell it. But I think for me, no, I think this is this is the beginning of a movement that we will continue to see over the course of the next few years, where when stories have shades of grey, young people online who have grown up on TikTok, grown up seeing the Amber and Johnny trial on TikTok, will continuously flatly refuse to believe any shade of grey around the woman. Right. Interesting. I think what people are upset about is that Olivia Wilde tried to hide behind some feminist argument that she was there for safety. And unfortunately, what it now looks like is that was bogus. We don't know if that's the case, but based on this footage where she's throwing Florence Pugh under the bus, she's effectively hiding behind a feminist argument to Variety saying, I was there for the safety. I believe in having some mood on set when really in reality, 
She was trying to cozy up to a man that we know is deeply problematic while throwing Florence Pugh under the bus. There's and no that doubt. is where, I think that's where the anger is. It's women who hide behind the idea of feminism but these, while doing the opposite. It's not young women who are saying this stuff. It's young men. It's like the commentary that I'm seeing online for me, because I agree with you, the stuff that annoys me most about Olivia Wilde, I would say, is the stuff around, you know, pushing that feminist argument when in reality, I'm not entirely sure you're living out those values. Mm. But I, I'm not seeing it being young women online who are pushing this like faux feminism argument really around. no that's what I'm, I'm seeing a lot of young men who are like here's another woman who's who shan't be trusted interesting I'm not seeing that kind of nuance which I think the story demands and again as I said before I genuinely wonder what Florence Pugh is doing sitting back watching all of this because this has been far greater a mess than I'm sure any of them could ever have imagined for sure and she declined to comment on this variety yes. story which I find fascinating her decision knowing all of the headlines we've seen, knowing all the drama that has unfurled in the last month, for Variety to approach her and say, hey, do you want to go on the record about Olivia Wilde? And for her to say, no, I don't have anything to say to you. Well, she said, I'm filming in June. (laughs) I'm filming filming in Budapest. (laughs) Well, I can't can't allot five minutes to jump on a call and give you a single quote. It's is weird. illuminating of something. It's very, very strange. Our seventh story, Nick Cannon's sperm cannot be stopped. <laughs> that is from the cut, finishing on a high. We needed something light. We needed something light. Guys, in 100 years' time, it seems like everyone will be the descendant of either Elon <laughs> Musk or Nick Cannon. They're rapidly approaching 20 children between them. Now, the world learned this week that Nick Cannon's Got another kid on the way. It turns out he's preparing for another baby with model Brittany Bell. Now, he already shares two other children with Brittany Bell. They have 19-month-old Powerful Queen and five-year-old Golden Sagan. Now, that's three kids with Brittany Bell. He also has another two, Monroe Moroccan with Mariah Carey. That brings us to five for those playing at home. I'll always have an issue with calling a child Moroccan instead of like Morocco or something. Moroccan just doesn't sound like it's a child's (laughs) name. That's the problem with the name? Yeah, there's a lot going on. (laughs) He's had another four children on top of that. Now, another of the mother's is pregnant again, but hasn't confirmed the child's paternity, meaning that could could tick us over for another one. I think it was quite funny, Mish, because when I was sitting at my desk the other day and trying to sort of make sense of this, you know, the fact he's conceived six (laughs) babies in two years and then trying to work out. So one woman's pregnant, but he's got after that his ex-girlfriend pregnant. So I'm like, who is he with? And you were like, darling, this is not to be made sense of. (laughs) No, I was trying to prep notes for this for too long where I was trying to figure out like when each woman was falling pregnant and how much sperm of his is just floating out in the universe right now impregnating people. You really can't follow it. Just trust me. He's got a lot of babies out there. He also, I found when I was doing my research, spoke to Entertainment Tonight less than a year ago, less than a year ago, and said he's going to, and I quote, take a break from having kids. (laughs) He then said, my therapist says I should be celibate. Well. He's conceived like another three kids since saying that. I'm in awe. I think that is all we've got for the cooking journey right now. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. You might have missed it over the last week, but an Aussie media company has taken it upon itself to create something called the Influence Index, a ranking of the top 100 influencers across the country based on, you guessed it, how influential they are. They're calling it a world-leading study, and it's got just about everyone in the industry talking. So who made the cut? 
Who missed out? And do we think this list is worth anything at all? Zara, let's begin by talking about the idea behind the Influence Index. Yeah, right. So there's a new youth publication on the scene. It's called The Oz. It's essentially the Australian's young millennial youth female-focused publication. Now, everyone is talking about them this week because they've released something, as you say, Mish, called the Influence Index, which, as you also said, is them calling it a world-leading study of our most influential influencers or social media creators. It's a pretty near-impossible task, right? Yeah, I mean... They've essentially given themselves the impossible task of nutting down what influence is, what it looks like, and then deciding who has the most of it. Like it's trying to quantify something that might not actually be quantifiable. To do this, they have done a heap of work. We want to make that really clear. The Oz has worked with two other major companies. One's called the Behavioral Architects. Another is called Storyful. There's like a whole methodology behind this. There has been months of work into it. And part of it, part of the research was surveying 2,000 Australians between the ages of 15 and 40 to understand who they find influential. Yeah, and I guess what they wanted to do, right, is to look beyond the numbers we can initially see when we think about influence or influencers, you know, follow account or like count. They said that in their study, the six drivers of influence measured a relatability, trustworthiness, expertise, attraction, content prominence and content frequency. So they really wanted to look at the industry from a different vantage point. I think the first thing I thought of straight away was like massive props to whoever came up with this idea. Oh my God. Like it's incredibly smart as a PR move for a publication like the Oz who is new, but really trying to center themselves at the center of young zeitgeisty stories. Because what do you do when you want people to talk about you? Well, you create a list about some of the people with the biggest influence in the country and they're obviously going to share it when they're on there. Yeah, this is genius. Whoever in that editorial team or partnerships team or whatever at the Oz who came up with this idea, (laughs) I actually think it's one of the best ideas I've seen in the Australian media landscape ever. Considering the landscape I think is a bit stale at the moment that so many new publications are launching and just flatlining and not reaching eyeballs. In terms of really trying to position themselves in the way that they want to be seen, it's very smart. It's very fresh. It's fresh. So let's talk about the list and where people actually fell on the list because... I was quite surprised when I started to look at it because I actually do have to be very honest here. I hadn't heard of the top five creators and I felt deeply embarrassed about that because I was like, I'm in this job, I'm online all day, every day. How have I missed these people? Yeah, I'm in the same camp as you. I'd only kind of heard of one of the following names. This is the top five listed in the Oz's Influence Index. In first spot, we have Sarah Magusara, second, Caleb Finn, third, Hannah Bellinay, fourth, the Ribka Twins, and fifth, Joel Bergs. Now, if those names don't ring many bells for you, like they didn't for us, Annabelle, did they ring any bells for you? No. Okay, interesting, because we all do this as a job. We talk about influence and celebrities and pop culture 24-7. So it's interesting we haven't heard of the top five. The names that did ring more bells for us came further down the list. We had Anna Paul in seventh spot. Tammy Hembro came in at spot 42. Kayla Itzinas at 44. The Inspired Unemployed at 45. And Abby Chatfield at 54th. Now, there are so many question marks I have over this list. As much as I adore the idea behind it, the execution has raised a lot of question marks in my mind. And across the industry, truthfully. And across the industry, one of those is how the hell <laughs> did Anna Paul come in seventh? Anna Paul, to me, should be number one. On the weekend, she literally shut down the city of Perth after 
thousands of fans rocked up to her WA meet and greet. Shut down the city. So many people were clogging up the streets that the police said this is a safety concern. We need to shut it down. Do I think anyone else on this list could do that? The only other person might be a Tammy Hembro, but even then, Anna Paul is without a doubt the most influential person in the country. And if the Oz and their team of experts who came up with this list don't agree, I've got to disagree with that decision. <laughs> well, I appreciate that they've obviously put like real data to the test here. I think the interesting thing for me and the question at the crux of it all is like, well, how do we all in individually consider influence? Because perhaps the my measure of influence is very different to, you know, the behavioural architects who did this study. Content frequency for me is not really a measure of influence at all. I'm not really fast whether an influencer I follow posts once or four times a week mm. if the impact of that one post far outweighs the four posts. I think the other thing for me as well is like if I'm considering how I am influenced by people online, I would say there are maybe three key ways that I – consider influence. One is lifestyle. Like, are they actively saying things that make me change how I live my life? The second I think would be thought or thinking. Like, are they saying things that make me reevaluate how I feel about the world? And the third is consumer behavior. Like, are they changing the way I spend my money? Like, am I putting my money literally where the influence is and saying my wallet will follow you? Putting the money where the influence's mouth is. Yes. yes. I didn't get there, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think what I found flawed in this list is there are so many dancers on it. And I understand dancing on TikTok can easily go viral. Like dancers on TikTok are extremely talented and extremely good at what they do. And they're very, very good at building a community very quickly. However, when you're watching a dancing video, what are they actually influencing you to do? You might enjoy the video. You might like it. You might follow to see more. But if someone's not actually speaking to you, if you don't even know what their voice sounds like, how are they physically influencing you to do anything really at all? To me, this should be titled the virality index, not the influence index. The only thing I'd counter that with is like a Charlie D'Amelio who built up an entire platform off dancing and actually is hugely influential. She's different to me though because she does both. Now she does, but at the time she didn't and still had a huge level of influence. I totally appreciate what you're saying though. I think there is something to it. I think the other thing that I really want to unpack, and I'm wondering now if influence is actually just subjective, like if this list is always going to be something that's contentious because everybody has a different idea of how they are personally influenced. But so many of these top accounts were TikTok creators because TikTok creators have massive followings. But I wonder if other platforms like Instagram should have been taken into account more, but not as a direct comparison. Because this is the thing, right? When a lot of people started out on Instagram, the algorithm did not allow them to gain as many followers as people could on TikTok. But people have been on Instagram for a decade. decade. Yeah. And I do think there's something to say about building influence and building trust over 10 years and that being a far more valuable asset to me than someone who has been on TikTok for the last year or two and has 20 million followers because you haven't had time to establish that level of trust. Yeah, I agree. I think you touched on this before. I spoke to a reporter at the Oz about this list. Her name was Ellie Dudley. And I found the kind of the measures of influence and all the stuff that they were analyzing to be super interesting. But I do think one thing that underpins this entire industry, this would not be an industry at all without money. 
Like money is what makes influencing interesting. It's what makes it a massive industry. It's what makes it the kind of thing that we need a list of 100 people on. Otherwise, it's not an industry at all. It's just kind of nothing, this amorphous thing on the internet. Yeah. So I asked the Oz, how did they factor in money? Like how much people get offered by brands, how much money they make for brands that they promote, because that to me is a direct indication of influence. If you can tell someone something and they then go and put their hard-earned money towards it, you are influential. The Oz didn't take money into account whatsoever. Like it wasn't a metric that they measured. It wasn't a metric that they investigated. And that to me is perhaps the biggest flaw of this execution all round. If you're not factoring in paid partnerships, that is what makes an influencer. What are we talking about if we're not talking about the way that these influencers control and have influence over money? That for me is a really glaring hole because we are not influencers, but we do know a lot about this industry. We have come across the rates that some people can charge. We do know a lot about which influencers perform for brands and which influencers don't perform for brands. And this list does not reflect that at all. And in my mind, the way influencers work for brands and the way that they can influence consumer behavior should almost entirely determine the top 100. Yeah, I agree with that because I think what's really interesting, as you say, like knowing a little bit about this industry is uh, influencers can have exactly the same amount of followers but charge completely different things. And a lot of that is not even to do with reach or frequency of posting but about that level of trust that they've kind of established with their their audience. I mean, the only thing for me is I went on scrolling through this list because I scrolled through a few times to see like who was on it, who wasn't. And I stumbled on the 50-year-old cricketer, Matthew Hayden. (laughs) I actually, it lost me. It really did. And I was laughing to you because I said, oh my God, Matthew Hayden is in spot 70 something. And you said, who is Matthew Hayden? And I said, you know who Matthew Hayden is. You're just not thinking about Matthew Hayden in the context of this influence list. Now, there's no doubt Matthew Hayden has a few followers around, but regarding a level of of influence, surely if we're talking sports people, we're, we're talking about Ash Barty having a far bigger influence on culture and yes. the zeitgeist than Matthew Hayden. Yeah, and aren't we polling 15 to 40-year-olds? How does a 50-year-old retired cricketer make it on the list? Sorry. <laughs> With great respect to Matthew Hayden, <laughs> who's had a wonderful and glittery career. <laughs> You're just not the top of mind when it comes to Australian influences. It's like, where's Pat Cummins, our current <laughs> test captain who has over a million followers on Instagram compared to Matthew Hayden's 250,000? Where's he? But then it goes beyond that. When you really start looking at the names, more questions pop up than answers. For example, how the fuck did Tommy Little make it on this list? The comedian. No hate to Tommy Little. Again, love Tommy Little. How did he make it on the list with, I think he's got about 300,000 followers. He's a media personality. If you're not familiar, he's a comedian. He's on the project. He does a lot of media stuff. No influencer stuff. How does he make it on this list when Zoe Foster Blake, <laughs> someone who, again, I wouldn't consider an influencer. I would consider her a media personality and an entrepreneur, but a fucking influential one at that. If we're including retired cricketers and project hosts, how does Zoe Foster Blake and Hamish Blake not get a – how are they not number one or number two on this list next to Anna Paul? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, again, I can't wait for your Say Friday tomorrow because I think I would love to ask our audience, what do they consider the greatest marker of influence for the influences they follow online? Is it, as we say, a pretty big marker of influence is me spending money or it's me changing the way I live or changing the way I think? I'm really intrigued because I think that will give us a really good insight into how individuals feel about influence. Yeah. And do you agree with me that Millie Ford being left off this list as well is a crime? TikTok creator of the year. 
TikTok creator of the year, Millie Ford. Millie Ford is so influential and she's grown so much. How has she dropped off the list? Particularly given that we know that TikTok creator of the year is a publicly voted (laughs) competition. And then on top of that, Sammy Robinson. How did Sammy Robinson not get a gig on the list? Like Flex Mommy. Flex Mommy. So many people. We'd love for you to tell us as well. Who has the most influence on yes. you in the Australian landscape? Who do you think is the most influential? Because I reckon if we compiled the shameless listeners top 10, it would be almost completely different to the Oz's top 10. Yeah, 100%. Do you guys have a name at the top of your head about who has the most influence over your behaviour? I asked that not knowing my own answer, but maybe I'll try and have one up before Friday. I think my, oh, I can give you my top two. My top two would definitely be Anna Paul and Zoe Foster Blake. Ooh. I think in terms of like changing my thought processes and learning and stuff, it would be flex. Yeah, interesting. Let me sit with this because I actually think the people that have the greatest influence over me now are probably fashion influencers, like changing the way I dress, which mm. again falls into the lifestyle money category. Yep. But I didn't see any fashion influencers on there either. So no. very, very interesting. I cannot wait to hear what everybody thinks. That is all we've got time for today. It has been a jam-packed one. If you want to support the show, come and follow us on Spotify or Apple. That helps other people find our show. Yeah, 100%. We're also on Instagram at Shameless Podcast, on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? No. No. Just be good. Just be good, guys. Just be good. Thanks so much, guys. See you on Monday. Bye. Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.